listening to Skylight, the Skylight Books podcast. Skylight Books is a general interest bookstore in the Los Feliz neighborhood in Los Angeles. You can shop with us from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or visit us online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Follow along at Skylight Books Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode. All right. Hello, hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back to the Skylight Books podcast series. My name is Maddie Gobo, and I am the events manager here at Skylight Books in Los Angeles. Um, We are open right now, and our hours are changing, so keep an eye on our socials at Skylight Books, or check out our website, skylightbooks.com, for the latest intel. Um, We're so glad to be welcoming folks into the store um, and you know now masks are optional so you know whatever your comfort level is we would love to see you know either the top half of your face or your entire face um, come on by and shop with us all right so today we have a fantastic conversation we're going to be talking about the new book he came in with it a portrait of motherhood and madness by miriam feldman she's going to be in conversation with one of our neighborhood favorites jennifer pasteloff Um, I want to give them their full introductions in just a moment, but first, a few words about the book. So, he came in with it, A Portrait of Motherhood and Madness. It's written by Miriam Feldman. She's a celebrated artist in Los Angeles whose idyllic life was uprooted when her son was diagnosed with schizophrenia. In her tireless search for help and answers, she learns about the shocking shortfalls of her mental health system and the destructive impact of mental illness, stigma, shame, and isolation. He came in with it reveals how one mother's struggle to help her son created for her a new definition of family forgiveness and forging ahead with no false facades. Miriam Feldman is an artist, writer, and mental health activist who splits her time between her Los Angeles studio and her farm in rural Washington state. She has been married to her husband, Craig O'Rourke, also an artist for 34 years, and they have four adult children. Their 33-year-old son, Nick, has schizophrenia. With an MFA in painting from Otis Art Institute, Miriam founded Damar Feldman Studios, Inc., a distinguished mural and decorative art company in 1988. At the same time, she built a strong career as a fine artist represented by Hamilton Galleries in Santa Monica, California. When Nick was diagnosed in 2004, Miriam became an activist and a writer. With firsthand knowledge of our mental health system, she decided to be an advocate for those who have no voice. She serves on the advisory board of Bring Change to Mind, the nonprofit founded by Glenn Close, and writes a monthly blog for their website. Miriam is active in leadership at NAMI Washington and writes for their newsletters. She is a frequent guest on mental health podcasts and is active on Instagram, where she has created a community of family and loved ones dealing with mental illness. In conversation with Miriam today, we have Jen Pasteloff. Jen Pasteloff is an author, public speaker, coach, and creator of the Shame Loss Movement and Course. She is the best-selling author of On Being Human. Cheryl Strayed, author of Wild, calls Pasteloff a conduit of awakenings, and Chiesa Lehman calls her 
a heart magician. She has been featured on the cover of Yoga Journal and in Good Morning America, Shape Magazine, New York Magazine, Health Magazine, and more. Jen is the founder of the literary website, The Manifest Station with editor Angela Giles. You can find her weekly live chats on Mind as well as her podcast with Alicia Easter called What Are You Bringing? She's deaf without her hearing aids and reads lips. She's currently working on her second book. You can book her for speaking through Lyceum Agency and private coaching or retreats through her website. All right, so Miriam and Jen, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you today. And uh, Miriam, I believe you're going to start us off with a short reading. Is that right? Yes, I am. Hello. We're so happy to be here. Um, I'm going to read a part um, just to set it up a bit. Uh, right before the part I'm going to read you, I was in a NAMI meeting, which is the National Alliance for Mental Illness, which was kind of a family support meeting. And this was at the very beginning of the whole process when I was still trying to figure it out, actually. I still am trying to, but back then it was even harder. Okay. After the exercise, we did some sharing. A very sweet old couple next to me recounted the circumstances of the past week. Their 47-year-old son was still living on their condominium balcony under a wrought iron decorative table they had bought to sit at and enjoy their morning coffee. It had been three years and he showed no signs of leaving. Latanya was still hanging in there with a the boyfriend. He was getting violent and had started throwing things. In the middle of the night, he'd wake up screaming. Once awake, it didn't stop because it wasn't a dream. It was the madness. Every week, I fought the impulse to take her aside and tell her to get out of the relationship. David, the overweight IT guy, whose mother and sister have schizophrenia, was a little depressed that week. That week? My sense of humor had begun to wane. I looked at the sad faded blue shirt that matched his eyes and imagined that what it would be like to be him. You couldn't even consider having children because of the genetics. And what woman would sign up for that, aside from Latanya? All he does is go to work and then try to control the damage every day. The door opened and a woman peeked in. Behind her was her son. He was large, scrubbed, and nicely dressed. She was small, round, and precisely made up. It was clearly the big day. She had gotten him to come. She was nothing like me. She was wearing a suit and pearls and had a hairdo. I was crouched in my chair wearing jeans and sporting messy paint-spattered hair. But I knew her all right. I sure did. She was exactly like me. That same hopeful expression, was this going to be the place that improved things? That ridiculous putting a good face on it determination. This mother holding the pieces of her broken heart in her own hands. An organ busted so recklessly, so raggedly, that the shards in turn cut her. The very hands that were holding it together. Oh, I knew her. Walking to my car after the meeting, I couldn't remember what there ever was in the entire world to be amused by. I felt myself harden against the sorrow welling up inside. The sharp little tip of the corridor licked the skin on my cheek as I yanked it open. 
that teeny prick of pain was enough. It tore me apart. I sat in the car and railed at the night sky. Where are you? What are you doing while my son is going mad? Where's my mother? Where's my father? Fuck you. Fuck you and the big fat faith all you believers cling to. If it's true, then where the hell are you? I screamed. Where are you? I wiped my cheek with the back of my hand, saw a faint line of blood. My mother told me that my hands were touched by you. That was why I could paint. I go into the colors and the movement, and there I know myself, and there I lose myself, and then there I find myself. So thanks for that, the painting thing. But how about I give that back to you and you give Nick back to me? I'll never paint again. Just please, please give me back my son. The previous week's meeting had been all about violence and the horrible things that mentally ill people sometimes do to others. The data shows that quite often others means mom. I now understand those women who go foolishly into situations of grave danger because they trust their child will know them and would never hurt them. You see it on the news all the time. She thinks he'll come to his senses. He'll look into my eyes and he will stop. We don't believe that they will ever harm us. Then out comes the gun, the knife, the icy clench of strong fingers around a throat. And it's too late. Okay, kind of a grim beginning, but I promise you there's lots of laughs in this book as well. <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. Um, so is this where I hop in or? It's, it's, it's all right. Um, so Mimi, Miriam Feldman, I am kind of like your stalker now. <laughs> I, you are um, my favorite artist. And I mean that not just as a uh, fine artist. Is that what you call painting visual artist? No, what yeah, do we call that? Fine, call but, but writer as well and human. <laughs> um, I see the painting behind you as the one I have in my house now. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for that. And I really hope that everyone reads this book and your um, your way of expressing yourself is so moving and poetic. Again, not just not just with your writing, but with your painting. So thank you for that. Um, all right. So speaking of painting, I, I own two. I own three Mimi Feldman paintings. One of them is a copy, but the other two are OGs. Um, so you've been a painter your whole life. Uh, tell us about the book. Like, how did this, I'm gonna write a book now. What's that about? <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, it's interesting how that came about. You know, when all of this started with Nick, it really turned our world upside down. You know, serious mental illness, it's like a gale force hurricane that just blows through your life. Yeah. And anything that's not nailed down is just gone. So there were many years where I really didn't know what side was up. I was basically just doing damage control all the time. But in the back of my mind, I had this feeling that I wanted to tell this story. And as the years went by and I experienced the isolation and the loneliness and the marginalization that this particular life circumstance brings to you, 
I felt more and more committed to it. I wanted the story to be there for other moms, most specifically because that's what I am, but really just for people, just to shine a light, just to make it. But, but had you written, I mean, I remember when I first met you um, in the workshop with Lydia Yuknovich and I, you told me you're an artist and then you opened your mouth and read something you wrote. And I was like, holy smokes. Yeah. I don't know if I, Skylight cares if I curse, so I'll, I won't, but did you know you could write? Had you written? Well, you know, I, I wrote in college, I wrote some short stories in my life, but, um, painting was always my driving force, but then life basically handed me a story that I could not tell with paint. Yeah. So I yes. figured I had a right. Wow. So I, I just down. got full body chills. Life handed mm -hmm. me a story that I could not say with paint because that was my next question. If you know, you were an artist, you know, I've seen you, all your paintings are, are phenomenal. You know, you could have been like, I'm going to tell this story through paint, but you just said that. I, yeah, I still haven't painted him. You know, there's, a little aside story is at one point in the beginning, he overdosed and took all his medication and I, uh, he almost died. And he was, we were in the hospital and this was like late nineties, two thousands or something. And, you know, we had little flip phones and he was in the hospital and he was hooked up to the machine breathing for him with the charcoal filter pumping his stomach. Jesus and I sorry. looked at him and I realized, I hadn't taken a picture of him in a couple of years and he wow. was 19 and he was different than he was. And what if he dies? And I don't know. So I managed to figure it out. And I took some pictures of him in that hospital bed. And later I tried to paint them and I couldn't do it. I mean, it, wow. it was just too much for me. And so I painted over them and I, they're out there in the world sold to other people as other paintings. Only I know what's underneath, but, um, I really still haven't. And we're 20 years into this. Yeah. Um, one day. Maybe, or maybe not, right? Or maybe not, exactly. I, um, you know, I've been, I've been doing a lot of work lately around shame and I have a, I created a thing called shame loss. Instead of weight loss, let's talk shame loss. And I find being a woman, there's a lot around age, you know, and like, um, I mean, I suppose men have this too, but I'm a woman. So, <laughs> but kind of like a sell-by date or, or whatever it is. So I love you published your book. How old were you? 63 or four? Uh, I think it came out. I was just turning, I was 63 or 64. Okay. I was 64. Yeah. And that's inspiring because I think a lot of people tell themselves a story that it's too late or, you know, or, or I've been a painter my whole life. I can't, I can't do this. And I always say you get to change your mind and you're also on your own damn timeline. And I, I've always wanted to talk to you about that because you're, you know, I've wanted to interview for my next book called you're right on time because you're such a beautiful example of that. Well, you know, I have all the same stuff we all have of uh, looking at the wrinkles and the this and the that and thinking, Oh my God, what's happening to me. But I just sort of, well, you know, that, ship has sailed at this point. Now I'm 65. But even as I was going through it, I just sort of acknowledge that and go along anyway. I don't know if I had spectacular parents or it's the way that I'm wired, but I've just never felt that there's anything I can't just do at any given time. God, and I that love the it. worst thing that could happen is I fail. What if we all had that? Imagine, imagine, you know, 
seriously. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's a you know, when we hear people say that, yeah, it's like, wow, what parents you must have had or what because it's it's more the anomaly, I think. Yeah, I have a friend that calls it informed naivete, which is Ooh, that I like Mimi, that. Isn't that great? Yes. That, Mimi, you're the poster girl for informed naivete. Because I kind of am I too. I love it, that. I know the odds are low, but I go ahead anyway. And I mean, I fail too. I fail sometimes, I succeed sometimes, but it's like, it doesn't kill you. But I also think like, I find myself when you say, I know the odds are low, I wanna go, says who? It's like someone made up all these rules and it's up to us to keep rejecting them. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? And going, well, no, and no. The naivete part of it is, you know, once I got into trying to sell my book, I had already written it. You know, I know it spent a year and I had 400 and some odd pages. I'd written the damn book. If I had started the selling process before, I might have been deterred because I was course, really yeah. told, forget about it. You're a 60 plus woman. Nobody's ever heard of you. Memoir is the hardest thing in the world to sell. And mental illness is depressing. Yeah, I didn't know all that. But so you did I it anyway. Know. I just you're just just remarkable. So, um. I want to talk about expectations and disappointments, um, specifically around publishing a book. I mean, look, I published my book a year before yours and so many expectations I didn't realize I had <laughs> and disappointments, but you, yours came out in COVID and it's, I can imagine it's like, I finally got my shot in quotes. Cause it's not like you're not dead yet. That's not your only shot. But and then this pandemic hit. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I have to admit that was a bitter pill to swallow, even for old energizer bunny me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a confident person. And you know, and I can take failure and I can take blows. But I was really excited about this because I'm a, I'm a person who's never been the bell of the ball on stage, the person talking. And, you know, I had, I had envisioned, I could see myself at um, Powell's with Lydia in conversation, sitting at that wooden desk, signing the book. You know, it was going to be so much fun. And none of that happened. So I went, I just changed gears and I went um, full throttle at what I could do, which was, you know, Zoom meetings and things like that. And it went well, and the book is a success, and lots of people have read it. And so at the end of the day, the only thing I didn't get was the party, you know, the fun thing. Yeah. But, um, but I'm really proud of the book. And the book has really done the thing that I wanted it to do. And that's what I... I which is what? It's touched people. I mean, yep. I get letters all the time, Yep. especially mothers, but all kinds of people saying, oh, my God, finally, I'm hearing a voice that sounds like my own. I'm hearing an experience that is my experience. Nobody has ever done that before. But, you know, with mental illness, especially serious mental illness, it's ugly. You yeah. know what I mean? There's nothing romantic or pretty or exciting about this except exciting in a bad way. It's an ugly thing and it's a yeah. hard thing and it devastates families. And um, to talk about it, it seems that a lot of times, a lot of the books and things that I've read, they, they kind of sugarcoated it. it's kind of a Hallmark card version or it's very technical. And when I started- Or it's very what? What was the second technical. thing? Technical. Mm. 
So when I sat down to write this book, I said to myself, okay, this is only going to have any meaning if you tell the truth. Yep. And you're giving a master class right now, by the way, in like memo writing. I hope everyone's taking notes. <laughs> well, you know, I do. And, you know, I'm a person who, and you'll read in the book, even throughout the experience of it, I did a lot of hiding and lying and bullshitting and pretending. And I realized in the experience of writing the book, the only way it made sense was if I was honest. Now, that's not to say I've told everybody everything. You know, <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I know. I say that yeah. all the time. It's like, I don't, does that even need to be said? But I guess it does, especially in our day and age with social media. But it just means, right, at least for me, that I won't hide. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And my thing with this is I'm telling my experience of this story, but it's really Nick's story, my son's yep. story. Yeah. And so I wanted to be careful to tell the story in a way that respected him and um and the rest of my family too yeah and and so there are things honestly jen there are things that i've witnessed there are things that i've been part of with nick and this illness that i have never and will never utter to another person not my husband his father you know not anybody yeah. because it's too awful and i don't want to give it life yeah. I, you know, look, my, so, my, my yeah. nephew has um, a rare genetic disorder mm -hmm. and autism and various other things. It's not schizophrenia, but I 100% understand what you're saying and nodding in solidarity. I wanted to talk about something you just said, which was, you know, it was Nick's story and I wanted to be respectful and for the rest of my family. So how did you navigate that? And you know, because it is often hard deciding, well, which is my story to tell and which is theirs? And also, um, Nick being okay with it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a lot. Um, the first thing I decided, and this is what really informed me and helped me in writing a book, was I've been an art maker my whole life. Yeah. So I know what it's like to sustain an endeavor. I know what it's like to sit alone in a room for hours and days and weeks and months and sustain making a thing mm. so i didn't have a problem with that so i made a deal with, so i didn't need reinforcement i didn't need to read it to anybody so i made a deal with myself that i was going to just sit down and write it and nobody was going to see it until i was done with it and so i did and i just i went in every day i was up here in my house in washington and it was winter and it's cold and rainy here and i just went in like my job every morning at nine o'clock and i wrote from nine to five and um, at the end of six months, I had 400 pages. And, and then I started addressing what's in there. How do I deal with it? But I just felt that it had to be just me and the paper putting it out there. And so but, then I, back to I, the idea that this is a class in memoir writing, I, I'm not even kidding. I hope when they market this, they write that because you, that's, I think so many people get in their head, mm -hmm. the editor comes out before and they're like, Oh, I don't, I shouldn't say this. Or they're going to get mad where you're like, right. no, no, I just dumped it all out then. Yeah. Because otherwise you just get in your own way. Yeah. So, I mean, in a way I feel like I was, I was ahead of the game. I was, in a sense, an experienced writer because I was just experienced in making art. It's the only thing I've ever done. I mean, since I could hold something in my hand, it was a paintbrush. Right. And so now it was figuratively a pencil. And so 
that made it much easier. And so then once it was written, then I went into the whole process of editing. And, you know, I first hired a mutual friend of ours, Samantha Dunn, who's a wonderful writer and coach and editor. And she read it and helped me edit it and basically sat down with me in a Starbucks in Orange County one day and said, look, this is not a book. This is expository writing. You're mm. just saying this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And it's embarrassing to admit this, but literally we sat there with napkins and pens and she drew out what the arc of a storyline is and what uh, you know, the storyline and how to build on it. And I, I mean, I the the coach in me, the coach in me is, is going to ask you, why is that embarrassing to admit? Well, I, I feel I, like I'm not, I'd be the same. I'm like, hire someone to help me. I'm like, it's I don't know. It's funny to admit. It's okay, not right. embarrassing. Right. Or I wouldn't be admitting. It's funny to me that right. I wrote 400 pages and then I learned about a storyline and an arc. Right. But then it was like, okay, great. I have these new tools and I can apply them. So I went back and you know I edited a few times and then I did the body of the book with Lydia Yuknovich twice up in Portland where we went through the whole book. And then back to your original question, then it came to the people in the book. Right. So I gave it to each of my three daughters and I gave it to my husband and told them to read it and said, if there's anything in here that you don't want in here, you tell me and I will take it out. Because again, you're dealing with somebody else's story. And there was nothing. Nobody asked for anything. As a matter of fact, Rose, my youngest said to me, you know, there's some things in here that I remember differently, but this is your story. So mm. you tell it the way it happened for you, which is- But what about Nick? Well, what happened with Nick is at the time of the writing and the year of the editing and before the publishing, he wasn't well. I mean, he really was not very- Yeah, much, I remember. Yeah, he wasn't here with us. He was in Nick world. And so, but I felt a moral obligation to at least inform him, yeah. which I did. So he knew about it and he knew that I had- written a book and I told him, you know, Nick, it's about you and me and the schizophrenia and our whole family. And, you know, he was okay with it. I really didn't want him to read it because I think honestly, there are things in this book that if he were to wake up tomorrow and not have schizophrenia anymore, he probably wouldn't want out there in the world and would be mad at me. But I decided that if he wakes up tomorrow and doesn't have schizophrenia anymore, you'll deal with him being I'll mad at it. you. No, I'll take it. Yeah, so, I just, <laughs> yeah. So I just did it. And now he's much better. He's on a new medication called clozapine and he's with us again. And so we've talked a lot more about it. I don't know that he has the um, attention span to actually read the book, but he's interested about it. And we talk about it and he asks me. So, so um, you recently were on the news. What? Tell us about that miss famous person yeah it was well i guess i did get my moment in the sun my 15 minutes it was, huh? it was and it was a long clip yeah yeah it was an eight minute piece on abc news with a wonderful guy whose name is trevor alt but how did they how did that even come about they reached out to me there was an Amazing. article in huffington post about me and my book right at the beginning when the books came out mm -hmm, at the hardback mm -hmm. And, um, and so they reached out to me and they wanted to do this interview with Nick and me. They were doing a piece on mental illness and the police and all the violence mm. and, and, and horrible shootings and, you know, that whole subject. And they wanted to um, portray a family. So 
I, I told him that, you know, yes, I, of course, would want to do it. I asked Nick and he said he would do it. And I told him, you know, you may get here and he may not want to do it anymore. But right. We're OK with that. So they flew in from New York and we did this great piece, which you can find if you um, if you go on YouTube and just do travel, Trevor Alt and mental illness, it comes up. And it's quite a good piece because it's all about these issues of having community teams that help and augment the police in dealing with people who have serious mental Yeah, it's terrifying when you, yeah. I mean, I'm guessing that it was during Mental Health Awareness Month, May, that you yeah, did that, right? Exactly. So there, there is so much discussion in our culture about mental health and, and the mental health system, rather. So what was your experience? Well, you know, it's interesting. I had a real awakening, as we all did, over this last year. And um, and now I think about my experience in a different way. And that's what I talked about on the ABC News piece. And I was so happy to have that platform to do it because it's a freaking nightmare dealing with the mental health system. The mental yeah. health system is irrevocably irrevocably broken and needs to be dismantled and recreated and it's a huge behemoth and hopefully we'll be able to do it i work hard every day in that effort but i thought that all my problems were just because the mental health system is so impossible and mental illness is so impossible and then george floyd happened and then this awakening of somebody who thought she was pretty damn woke to begin with and what I realize now is that it is such a completely different and more terrible situation for people of color. Yeah. And um, you know, I tell a story in the piece about putting myself between the police and my son and saying, I'm going to stand between you because you're going to have to shoot me before you shoot him. And I realize now if I was black or brown, I wouldn't have had the luxury to put myself in that position. But I knew as a white woman that that policeman wasn't going to shoot me. So this is something that I've incorporated into my message and everything I'm talking about because it was so awful for me. And then I think, how would it be without that privilege, without white skin, without my education and my resources and all of that, which is why so many people fail at taking care of their own loved ones. Wow. Well, speaking of loved ones, we get a little real, real motherfucking life. My hashtag in the background. Um, yeah, it this this year was you know on on so many levels um, a real um, reckoning and and waking up and um, and also I mean I I don't think we we've at all touched the surface of of how it's affected uh as a whole i guess or as a, our our mental health <laughs> this experience right mm -hmm. um so did you blame yourself at all for yeah of course i did dot I dot mean, dot <laughs> yeah i mean don't we as mothers blame ourselves for everything yeah. and it's you know and it was you know not helped at all by the fact that in the history of the treatment of schizophrenia by our culture was something in the 1950s called the refrigerator mom, which is listed in the medical books as the cause of schizophrenia being that the mother was not loving and warm enough to her child. And that's what caused the schizophrenia. So you wake up one morning to your beloved son disappearing in front of your goddamn eyes and then you pick up a book to find out what's going I, on. I, I mean, I can't right now. Fault. I'm just getting upset. Even yeah, that is just 
Yeah. So, huh. so all of that is adds to it. And then of course, you know, as a mother, you, you, I mean, we grew them. I grew them in my belly. I just felt it had to be something I did. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the melatonin I took to sleep when I was pregnant, or it was the, the one beer I drank before I knew I was pregnant. And, you know, intellectually, I've released myself from this. Mm-hmm. But honestly, Jen, 20 years into this, I got to tell you, on some deep, deep level, I don't know if I think it's my fault, but I certainly think it's my job to somehow fix it. Wow. To somehow what? Fix it? Fix it. What does that mean? What does fixing Cure it look him. like? Make him better. Make uh-huh. it go away. How's you know, that go? How's that going for you? Real well. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you know what? He is. Can't wait to write that book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That one. Do your parents with the schizophrenic child. Here's how you fix it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, I'd argue that. Yeah, fixing isn't exactly the word choice I would use, but the book you wrote is definitely contributes to the healing, you know, um, not necessarily of his mental illness, but of the caregivers. And all of us, know. because this is the thing that I keep talking about is the culture. We have a culture, Western culture, which has decided that there is no place for these people in our world. Yeah. And that makes me so angry. It makes me want to cry and I'm medicated. So, wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, who the hell are we to say these 1% of the population gets schizophrenia and there is nowhere for them. They end up, unless they've got a lot of advantages, a lot of good luck and a pit bull of a mother like me, the de facto mental health facilities are the prisons and the streets. And we as a culture have to change. And that's also why I wrote the book, because I wanted it to be a story that you can see yourself in it. You don't have to have a son with mental illness. It resonates for any parent of a teenager, any family. And, you know, I mean, it's about our culture and it's about accepting. There are different iterations of what a human being is. Exactly. And it's like eugenics to some degree. What right do we as a culture have to say that these people don't belong? I mean, we've created the the Disabilities Act so that people with wheelchairs can get into a damn theater. Why the hell don't we have a place for people with schizophrenia? How old were you when you realized or he was diagnosed? Well, you know, it started when he was a teenager. And the problem is, if you're to make a list of red flags for serious mental illness and a list of normal teenage behavior. I know that's got to be tricky. The same list. Yeah. So you go for I went for a couple of years thinking, okay, well, they're all crazy. I mean, they're all oppositional and rational and, and, you know, behaving. I was and I was perfect. Well, then you were really weird. (laughs) (laughs) But um, (sighs) But then it just kept getting worse. And then there was a suicide attempt and he, he slashed his wrist. And then I knew it was something very serious. But then even then we went for a couple more years treating it as a drug problem. He was diagnosed when he was 20. It took that long. To so how old were you? I, if he was 20, I'm, I was uh, 45. Okay. So no, wait. what would you 45. say to your 45-year-old self? Actually, I was 50, sorry. Um, I would say you're doing fine. Keep doing what you're doing and 
stop wasting time trying to change things you can't change and stop mm. wasting time blaming just mm. get on with living because i don't have huge regrets you know i think i did a great job yeah um, you know i made mistakes and there are things i definitely wish i had done differently but overall i think my worst mistakes were in regard to my other children and not being able to take care of them as much as i could because there's only one of me yeah but I, I think the point would be to just i guess it would be the one thing i would say is just accept just accept it and act accordingly stop resisting which is essentially what which is essentially what you're saying to the to the other mothers and the other yeah. fathers and the other caregivers right that's your yeah. message so so have you accepted it are you at a place of peace yeah i am i mean i Good. still have my nights where i howl at the moon but i yes. yeah of course you're human i mean yeah. it's it's uh it, i get that being being someone who's deaf without my hearing aids it's not like right. I, every moment i'm like this is a gift i still have moments where i'm like this is motherfucking annoying and right. this is the worst and and i still accept it i don't you know think that i'm gonna wake up tomorrow and have perfect hearing or but um that doesn't mean we don't have bad days you but know the but the key to a life and a key to to fluidity i think and and movement is acceptance yes just, okay stop resisting it is this it's not something else it's really i mean it is it's the key to life isn't it and you it's, know, i'll um... tell you a quick story <laughs> i was in the hospital when he had his first psychotic break and i had my middle daughter lucy with me and she was managing everything because i was practically psychotic i was definitely in some sort of fugue state and i was walking down the hall and uh this woman with a big shiny cart with all the towels on it grabbed my arm and pulled me into the janitor's closet and she sat me down and she said to me listen i know what's happening here my husband is like your son and she proceeded to give me you know a five minute primer on how to deal with this and at the end of it she like took me by the shoulders and she looked me in the eye and she said this is how it is now miha stop wasting time pretending it was anything different and that's informed mm. every day since then that God, that's lady. beautiful yeah. really the yeah. it's <laughs> the kindness of strangers oh, yeah. right um i think that's such a beautiful place to sort of wrap up the the interview portion of it really this this notion which is like the hardest and easiest thing in the world right of, of accepting just what is so yeah. <laughs> what is so and then from there going okay now what yeah because but, there's always now what there's always yeah. the next moment yeah but you get so stuck when you don't and i mean Again, you don't sit around going, oh, I'm so happy I'm deaf. I would not be so wonderful. And you know, I don't sit around for a second and think I'm happy Nick has schizophrenia. I peel yeah. the skin off my body to make him not have schizophrenia. But I am a way better, more interesting, more patient, more compassionate person than I was before he got sick. Same, same. Yeah. So there is a gift in it. And I, I want to be really clear, you know, and I think you and I both have this stance. It's not like, you know, there's necessarily a gift in every shitty thing or every loss, or every pain, but sometimes, sometimes, you know, and it's always in hindsight, 
it's never in the moment. And anyone who argues with me on that, it's not like something terrible happens or some, you know, right away we get the gift. Right. I mean, I don't know. It hasn't happened to me. Maybe yeah. I'm going to get like, someone's going to tweet me how wrong I am, but, um, accepting, well, your book and your art is so, you know, you're my favorite. I, I told you my goal is to have your art all over my walls and <laughs> your book is like you know always on my bed or my bedside and i'm so grateful that you you allowed yourself to step out of what you thought you were just you know good at and you're you know quote unquote just a painter and made this beautiful piece of art that was a book well i am equally grateful to have found you in my life as well my dear well you're wonderful how how um how can people find you? What's the best place? Well, the best place is, I guess, my website, which is miriam-feldman.com. And um, I, you know, there are links to everything there. The book, my art, Nick, Nick's art. Nick now has a store on uh, Facebook where he sells prints of his paintings. He's okay, that's amazing. Too. Yeah, isn't it? That is amazing. So yep. can you find that on your website? It's, yeah, it's all on the website. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, folks listening, please buy the book from Skylight. It's, um, it's so, so important to keep our bookstores alive and breathing. So, you know, even if you have it, buy a copy for your friend and spread well, the word it's in paperback so it'll be sold, yes by uh, 15th thank you what an honor i can't wait to be in italy with you on Me my too. retreat cannot wait thanks thank Jim. you thank you for your book and your art and your advocacy and your your uh what did you call yourself your pitbull energy <laughs> <laughs> thank you all right, I'm coming back in to say our goodbyes. Uh, Jen, thank you so much for moderating. You did a fantastic job. Um, Miriam, it was such an honor to hear you speak about your work and your relationship with your son and all of the amazing advocacy you're doing. Um, it's really a cause that's really close to my heart as well. So thank you for that. Um, and I just wanna echo what Jen is saying. The book is fantastic. Please order it from Skylight. Please buy other books from Skylight. We love you. We miss you. We want to see you back in our space. Um, you've been listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. My guests today were Miriam Feldman and Jen Pasolop, and they were discussing Miriam's new memoir. He came in with it, A Portrait of Motherhood and Madness. Jen and Miriam, thank you again for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you. It's a delight uh, as always, and I hope we can see you in person in the store in the coming months. Yes, yes. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. Take care and keep reading. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.